Good morning, church. I'm reading John 1, 35 through 51. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Good to have you with us. Welcome to those that are on YouTube Live right now. Believe is our current teaching series. We're working our way through the gospel according to John and following Jesus is the title of this weekend's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 1. We're looking at verses 35 through 51. And and the whole purpose of this book, if you remember, I'll keep reminding you of this, uh, John 20, 31. These things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's why we're studying John, the gospel according to John. Grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along there, part of the intro. Everyone lives for something. Everyone lives for something. That something is the Lord of your life, whether you want to call it that or not. Jesus is the only Lord that forgives you when you fail him, fulfills you when you follow him. Any other Lord is terribly unforgiving and ultimately unfulfilling. If you live for your career or romance, or your children, how they turn out, or how well they're doing, or athleticism, or your health, or money. If, if you don't do well in any of those, they are terribly unforgiving. Even if you do well in any of those, it is ultimately unfulfilling because your heart was made for something much bigger than something in creation. It was made for the creator and him alone. And so we're looking at following Jesus this, uh, this weekend, and we're looking at what are the barriers to following Jesus, what would keep people from wanting to follow him. And maybe you're here today just kind of kicking the tires, trying to considering whether or not you want to become a Christian. This is going to be really good for you. So what are the barriers? How can we help people follow Jesus? And then what does it mean to follow Jesus? Sound good? Okay. Here we go. Let's take that first question. What are the barriers to following Jesus? First, fill in the blank on your notes is persecution. We start seeing a little hint of this persecution with John the Baptist this last week as we were studying about John the Baptist. Remember, the Pharisees were coming in and interrogating him. Well, they 
Turn up the heat when it comes to Jesus and eventually murder him, have him murdered. And so persecution could certainly keep uh, followers from wanting to follow, uh, people that are wanting to commit their lives to Christ. In fact, Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke 21, 17, you will be hated by all for my namesake. Doesn't sound like a very nice promise there, does it? You're going to pull that out of your promise box first thing in the morning and go, oh, look at this. You will be hated by all for my namesake. Praise God. Yeah, that's a hard one. And in fact, all of the 12 disciples except for two died deaths of torture and martyrdom proclaiming the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now turn to the person next to you and see if they know the two, the two that were not martyred. Two of the disciples. We're talking 12 disciples. All were martyred except for two. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer. How many were thinking Judas? Yeah, he, he hung himself, okay? Yeah, so he, it didn't go well for him, okay? He uh, basically, he denied Christ and he, uh, what else did he do? He betrayed Christ. He betrayed Christ. Okay, who's the other one? Anybody? John, the writer of this book. John. And so check this out. They tried to boil him in, in hot oil. And the dude wouldn't die. It's like, man, alive. And so they exile him to the island of Patmos where he writes the book Revelation. And what it just tells us is that uh, you're immortal until God says otherwise. Okay? And so God wasn't finished with him. And so he's exiled out there. That's where he, he writes uh, the book of Revelation. So pretty phenomenal <clears throat> But they were all persecuted. Here's the next one is practice, or you could call it tradition or ritual. Look at verses 35 through 37. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. You catch the story here? So they're following John. And then John the Baptist, that is, and John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. He had already said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We saw that last week's text, chapter 1 of John. And so then the two stopped following John and start following Jesus. They had to stop following John in order to start following Jesus. Now, what's interesting about church, and I've been around the church my whole life, I hear people say, well, we've always done it that way. And they get comfortable kind of with their routine, with their ritual, with their tradition. And these guys realized, hey, we got to stop following John and start following Jesus. And in fact, John would have insisted that they follow Jesus. And, and so oftentimes we can get so into the routine, the tradition, the ritual where we come to church week in and week out, we read our Bible, we pray, we talk to God, and yet it just becomes something that we check, check off on the list. It's just, we just kind of go on through the motions eventually, we just, and it's not truly an encounter with Christ, and that keeps us from following, from following God. Matthew 15, 8 through 9, Jesus put it this way, and he's talking about, he's talking about the Pharisees. These guys read, their, read the Torah, and they tried to obey the Torah, and they preached the Torah, and, and they were very moral people. And yet he says this, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is in vain. So you can actually come here on a weekend service, and your worship be in vain if you're just going through the motions, and that will keep you from following Christ. I love the story of a little girl who was watching her mom cut the ends off the ham as she was preparing the ham for Thanksgiving meal. And she asked her mom, Mommy, why do you cut the ends off the ham? And the mom said, well, it's just what my mom always did. And so she went to her grandma and said, Grandma, why, does, why do you and my mom always cut the ends off the ham? And she said, well, I don't know. That's just what I've always done. That's what my mom has always done. And so she went to her great-grandma and said, great-grandma, why do you and, and grandma and my mom cut the ends off the ham and great grandma said well I don't know why they do it but I did it because I never had a pan big enough to fit the ham <laughs> it's 
So what, what has meaning at, at some point, you kind of lose that meaning. It's just what we've always done. It's always what we've done. No, no, no. Is what you are doing truly encountering Christ? Are you following him? So you got persecution practice. Here's the next one is pride. Verses 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew. Check this out. This is really good. It was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now keep in mind, this is his older brother. We guys, you guys are familiar with Peter. Peter was uh, very intense, very type A, really just a go for it kind of guy. So there was no doubt that he probably had to swallow a little pride to have his little brother come up to him and say, hey, we found the Messiah. Oh, sure you have, you little punk. Come over here. Let me give you a noogie. Or a Snuggie, yeah. Some of you don't even know what I'm saying. said right there, did you? Okay. You don't want to know. Okay. Uh, so Simon followed his younger brother to Jesus. And the reason why I said that is because familiarity breeds complacency and even contempt. You get to know people really well, and after a while, you just kind of discredit them. Man, what do they know? What do they know? And that's, that could have very easily happened with Peter, but he swallows his pride and uh, he follows his little brother, and Peter was, was sought by his little brother, brought by his little brother, and was caught by the words of Jesus. It tells us in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You do not want pride in your life because God will oppose that. And that keeps people from coming to Christ because really, if you want to follow Christ, all you need is need, but most people don't have that because of pride. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So the next one is, so you got persecution, practice, uh, pride, and then you got prejudice. Prejudice, verses 45 through 46. These are things that are barriers to following Christ. Verses 45 through 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. They were awaiting the Messiah. They had read about him in the Old Testament. And Nathanael said to him, can any good come out of Nazareth? So what would that be like? Can anything good come out of Ajo, Arizona? Anybody ever been to Ajo? Anybody here ever vacation in Ajo? No, not, not typically. So, Ajo, Arizona. Can anything, hopefully you're not from Ajo here this morning. Anybody from Ajo? Okay. Can anything good come out of Ajo? I mean, that's basically what he's saying. This is some podunk town. You might stop on the way to wherever you're going. <laughs> and uh, you're just like, I, I, need, I need to get a soda. There's a service station up here. Let's stop. Let's not stay long, though. This is Ajo. Um, not against anybody from Ajo. But that's what he's saying. That's prejudice. That's prejudice. It's prejudgment. And uh, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. Matthew 13, 53 through 58, Jesus came to his hometown and taught them in the synagogue, but they said... They said, is this not the carpenter's son? His mother Mary and his brothers and sisters are, are here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Why did they have unbelief? Prejudice. Remember, familiarity breeds complacency and even contempt. And that's what's happening. Now, what's fascinating about this story with Philip and... Uh, when, when Philip uh, brings Nathaniel to Jesus and Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip doesn't try to defend the people from Nazareth. He doesn't say uh, to Nathaniel, now listen, man, these, these people from Nazareth, they're really good people. You just need to get to know them. He doesn't do that. What does he say? He says, come and see. It's come and see ministry. 
I know that you're going to encounter people that are, have prejudice toward Christians. In fact, most of Americans are prejudiced toward Christians. I know that's a big statement. But what I mean is they prejudge them. They think that this is what the Christian life is all about. Or maybe they've, had, they've been around a Christian who was truly hypocritical or tried to rip off the company in some way and called themselves a Christian. Or maybe they went to a church where they were abused. I mean, I could see why there would be a, uh, some bias there or, or prejudgment and the tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But don't try to defend the church. Just say, come and see. Come and hang out with us in our life group. Come and see. Come, come to a weekend service with me. I know, I know that past church experience was really bad. I understand that. I am so sorry. But come and see. Come to our backyard barbecue. In fact, the early days of, of Desert Breeze, and, and I know that a lot of our small groups still do this, is that we... We started Desert Breeze by doing a lot of backyard barbecues, and there were people that their friends had said, hey, hey, come over here, and we're going to do a backyard barbecue. Let's go hang out. And one guy in particular, the guy's name was Todd, and his wife told me, he said, oh, he'll never come to church, but will he come to a backyard barbecue? She says, yeah, I think so. And, uh, and so brought him to this backyard barbecue. We're back there playing volleyball, having a good time. He starts talking to the folks, and he says, so how do you guys, how do you guys know each other? Oh, we all go to the same church. What? Yeah. Well, you guys aren't so weird. And, and that's actually what he was thinking. He was thinking, oh, Christians are weird. I don't want to hang out with them. But as he began to hang out with us more and more, we kind of grew on him. And uh, he kind of liked us. And before long, he started coming to church. And it wasn't too long after that he committed his life to Jesus. Come and see. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. Come and see. That's all you need to do. Hey, come and see. Be a bringer and an includer. Bring them under your arm and include them in what you're doing and let them see and let God get a hold of their life. And, uh, and that's how you overcome that prejudice. Uh, so barriers to following Jesus, persecution, practice, pride, prejudice. How can we help people follow Jesus? Uh, look at verses, the first one is preaching. Preach the gospel. Verses 35 through 36, the next day again, John was standing with his two disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, that word behold means let this get a hold of you. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. What is he doing? He's preaching the gospel. The Lamb of God, yeah. He's the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament. He's gonna take away all of our sin so that we can be reconciled to the Father. He's preaching the gospel. So if you're going to preach the gospel, you've got to know the gospel. A lot of Americans don't even know what the gospel is. So can you, can you tell me the gospel? If I were to sit down with you and say, tell me the gospel. Oftentimes I'll sit down with, with couples and I'll say, so let me know. Tell me what the gospel is. And I find it really interesting that they'll talk about the, the results of the gospel and won't really actually talk about the gospel. And so here, there's a lot of different ways of, of, uh, of saying the gospel. Here's one way. You've heard me say this many times before. The gospel is not good advice about what you must do to be right with God. How many have heard that one before? Show of hands. Okay. A lot of you. So the, so the gospel is not good advice about what you must do to be right with God. It's not spelled D-O. You got to do all these things, and then God will accept you and bless you. That's not the gospel. A lot of people think that's the gospel. If you were to ask most Americans what the gospel is, it would, it would be along those lines. And so it is not good advice about what you must do to be right with God. It is good news about what God has done, what he has done to make us right with him. Listen to me, it's done. You have access into the throne room of God. You have been forgiven of all your sins. You have been reconciled to the Father once and for all. You are adopted into his family. You are lavished with his love. Do you hear that? It's been done for you. You can access that this morning. You can experience that. That's what he offers us. That's the gospel message. And I wish more and more people would proclaim that because the captives would be set free through that. We're all captive to our sin and our suffering. Jesus came to set us free, to bring us into relationship with the Father, and so that's the gospel. It says in 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word or preach the gospel. Be ready in season and out of season. Romans 1, 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Do you know what transforms people's lives? What changes people's lives? It's the gospel. It's the gospel that transforms people's lives. 
So you want to proclaim the gospel. Let me just tell you very quickly why we do what we do here on weekend services is that we preach the gospel consistently week in and week out. And so we, and the reason why we do that is because uh, this is not a lecture. Lectures will give you information. I've been to churches before where it was just a ton of information. And there's nothing wrong with information. I, I certainly give you a lot of information, a lot of background and understanding of the text, and that's important. So it's not a lecture, and nor is it a motivational talk to give you action steps, although I will give you action steps, but that's not what, what sermons are all about, what we do here on weekend services. So it's not a lecture. It's not a motivational talk. It's a sermon. And here's what I want you to experience right there where you're sitting as we're studying God's word that there will be those moments in your life you'll just go, oh my goodness, he is amazing. And you are lost in love, wonder, and praise. You have those moments right there. You worship. Sermons are meant to help you to worship. So when we, we worship certainly in song, but we also worship in the study of God's word. So my goal week in and week out is that you would be captivated by the beauty and the glory of who Christ is. You want to change your life? Change what you worship. That, that is what will transform your life. And, and that's what I want more than anything. I want, in fact, I believe worship rises or falls with your concept of God. So I want to show you a concept of God from his word that will lift your worship towards him. And you will be transformed by that as we proclaim the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So preaching and then personal testimony. Verses 40 through 41, Andrew starts following Jesus and the very first thing that he does is find his older brother, Simon, and says to him, we have found the Messiah, which is Christ. And then in verses 44 through 51, Philip, follower of Jesus, found Nathanael, his friend, and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Real quick, quick survey here. How many by show of hands would say that you were brought to Christ either through a family member or through a friend? Show of hands, show of hands. Whoa, that's a lot. In fact, that's the most successful way of witnessing or evangelism because you already have credibility with them. They know you. And so you, you preach the gospel to them, but more importantly, you give personal testimony of how the gospel has transformed your life. And they cannot deny that because they see you. They know you as they watch you as you follow Christ that's why it tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. So you should be living your life in such a way with all the craziness that's going on in this world right now that they look at you and they, and they go, wow, you're, you're not so crazy with all this craziness going on. Are you on drugs what is going on here? You, you seem to have a lot of love. I've seen you love people that were kind of hateful towards you. That doesn't make sense to me. I see joy even in bad circumstances. I see a peace. You seem to be pretty calm as you face conflict. That's what Christ has for us. And when we do that, people will go, hey, what's going on here? And they might not say, tell me about the hope that you have. They're just going to go, well, we're trying to figure this out. What's, what's the, what are you doing here? What is this, hap what's happening inside of you? I don't know. And, and that's why it says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do it with gentleness and respect. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have multiple testimonies. A personal testimony is the most effective witness. And God allows experiences in, in my life, in your life, so that we can relate to others who need Christ. You've gone through hard times and Christ has seen you through those hard times, he wants to recycle that pain so that you can help others through their hard times. Do you hear that? You didn't go through that for no reason. He's working in your life. He, he's trying to make you more like Christ, and as he does that, then he wants to use that in you to make an impact in other people's lives that are going through the same hard time that you went through. And so, trusting Jesus and, and many of you could probably have testimony just like this. Trusting Jesus has helped me to deal with worries and anxiety and has given me inner peace. How many could say that's true about you? Okay, yeah. 
How about trusting Jesus has helped me deal with guilt and shame and has given me forgiveness and a new start? Show of hands. Yep, yep, yep. That's part of your testimony. Trusting Jesus has helped me with anger and has given me patience and love. Show of hands. Okay, yep. How about this one? Trusting Jesus has helped me deal with marriage or finances or parenting and has given me hope, direction, and life change. Show of hands. Okay. How many would say this is true? Trusting Jesus has helped me to deal with my biggest problem, the person sitting right next to me. Show of hands. <laughs> and has given me the ability not to let them push my buttons, okay? Some of you were really quick to raise your hand on that one, okay? Some of you are probably sitting by people on each side of you, okay? Just bow your head right now and pray for them. So personal testimony. Here's the third one. It's a bit supernatural, pursued by Christ. They're all supernatural, but this one in particular. So preaching, personal testimony, and then pursued by Christ. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to Philip, follow me. So this, uh, Philip wasn't brought by a friend or a family member. Jesus approached him. He just came up. Jesus said, hey, Philip, follow me. And in verses 46 to 51... Nathaniel has this supernatural encounter with Christ, and although he's brought by a friend, remember how the story goes here? So he's coming up, as, as Nathaniel's walking up, Jesus said, ah, an Israelite who has no deceit. Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? <laughs> I saw you under the fig tree before Philip came up and brought you here to me. He goes, whoa, see, Jesus is reading his mail. Really, it's called the word of knowledge. It's really fascinating. And he goes, wow. And uh, it, he's just overwhelmed by it. That. That's a supernatural kind of an encounter. I've seen that happen in people's lives. I've seen it here on weekend services. There have been times, there's been times here where people have come up to me and have said, I, I awakened in the middle of the night, overwhelmed with anxiety and had very strong leading to find a church. I did a Google search for churches in the area, and up popped Desert Breeze. So I, I showed up to Desert Breeze this particular morning, and what you said is exactly what I needed to hear. I felt like you were reading my mail. I've had people say that. I felt like, are you living in my house with me? And, I, and this is how I respond. I just say, it's evident. God is coming after you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. That's very supernatural what he's doing. He's drawing you. And so, so what is our part in this when we see something like that happening? It's to just encourage him, say, man, I can see God's coming after you. He loves you. He's wanting you to come to him and know him and to experience him. And that's typically what I say to him. Uh, Acts 9 is a great example of this conversion of Saul to Paul. It was quite supernatural. Not everybody's going to have that kind of an experience. Sometimes you're brought by a f family member or a friend, or it could be just Christ waking you up in the middle of the night. You have some sort of an encounter. You, you begin to search in your soul deeply. You don't even understand what that means. Maybe you don't even identify that encounter as being Christ or whatever it might be, but you're drawn maybe to a gospel teaching church, and you hear the gospel, and your life has changed. Well, it sounds like God's working. And so, how can we help people follow Christ? Preaching, personal testimony, pursued by Christ, encourage them what you see God doing in their life, identify that. And, and so there, there are a lot of different ways to Christ. There are a lot of different ways to Christ. All of us came to Christ in a lot of different ways, but there's only one way to heaven, only one way to the Father, and that is through Christ. Does that make sense? And, and so that's, that's important to always keep in mind. So so what does it mean to follow Jesus? What exactly does that mean? I think this text helps us with that. Now, we live in a world today that would say, uh, in our culture, that they would say, this is courageous if you do this. Our culture says, follow your heart, be true to yourself, make your own path, don't care what anybody else says, that's courageous. How many have heard that message before? It's all around us. Yeah, here's, here's what it means to be courageous. It means to become a Christian and follow Christ, be true to him, and make his word a, a light to your path. That's courageous. Why is that? Because you're swimming upstream. Look around. 
You know, in fact, even people, if you told them, hey, I became a Christian in your workplace, they'd go, they wouldn't celebrate that with you. They'd just go, oh, brother, another one of your type. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be ridiculed. And it takes courage to say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love him. He has transformed my life. Even in the midst of ridicule, I got ridiculed when I worked construction. I got ridiculed when I was on the fire department. There were people that made fun of me. And that was nothing compared to what the early Christians experienced in their culture. They were murdered. They were martyred for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to follow Christ? It is knowing the difference between the message and the messenger. Talked a little bit about that last weekend. That's your next fill in the blank. On your notes, verses 35 through 37, two disciples stop following John the Baptist and start following Jesus. Now remember what John the Baptist said. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. They kept pushing him. They were interrogating him. Okay, you're not the Messiah, but are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Tell us who you are. Why are you baptizing? He, he just says, hey, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. In other words, I am the messenger, not the message. Now, it's interesting. There's a book in the New Testament that, they, that the writer, Paul, spends the first three chapters dealing with this problem in that church. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13 tells us what that problem is. Paul is bringing correction to the church in Corinth because they are quarreling and dividing over the elevating of human leaders above Christ. Do you hear that? Oswald Chambers puts it this way, the leader is most successful and attractive who attaches the affections of his followers more to Christ than himself. Did you hear that? Okay. Here, here's my heart for you. Is that as I'm up here teaching and we're, and we're meditating and reflecting and learning more about Christ, that there would be a moment in which you no longer see me and you start seeing Christ from the scriptures. I've actually, that, that's uh, music to my ears when I actually hear people say that is that they will say, man, there was a time in the message, I begin to, I begin to see Christ. I begin to see him more fully for who he is and savor him more deeply and now I can leave here and show him more contagiously in my life. So uh, who taught this weekend? I don't know who taught this last weekend. I think Ray, Pastor Ray might have been there or not, but it doesn't matter. I saw Jesus. Yes! That's what I want more than anything, is that through the teaching of God's word here, regardless of who's up here, you are captivated by Jesus. Your heart affection is drawn to him, that you would know him. I'm the messenger. I'm here just a voice, I'm a signpost, I'm pointing to him. Make much of him. Join with me as we make much of him. That's what it means to follow Christ. Not some man's teaching, not some person that's high profile Christian. No, it's about Christ following him. Here's the next one. It is more than knowing and believing, but hungering and thirsting. Look at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Now, this is the most important question of Christian discipleship. Jesus didn't ask, what do you know? What do you believe? No, he says, what are you seeking? Why? Because we are what we are seeking. We are what we want. We are what we love. Our wants, our longings, and desires are at the core of our identity. And those, and those wants, longings, and desires will dominate our thoughts, stir our deepest emotions, and move us to action. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. That's why it tells us in 4, 23, of Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That's why he says, what are you seeking? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? 
We are what we love. We worship what we love. And you might not love what you think. You know, I, I understand that. You told me that Jesus has your deepest loyalties and affections and you love him with all of your heart and you want nothing more than to know him. And yet the other day I was watching you and you really got excited about the Arizona Cardinals unlike I've ever seen excitement before. And when I watch you here on weekend services worshiping God, I see your hands in your pocket, you're staring kind of who knows where and you're just kind of going through the motions. What's up with that? I mean, do you find yourself getting more excited about uh, Arizona Cardinals? By the way, they're playing right now, so obviously some of you aren't really Arizona Cardinal fans because you would be at home watching the game. But maybe you're a bigger fan of Jesus, and that's why you're here right now. What do you, what do you think, huh? Maybe that's what it is. Although all the fans of the Cardinals came last night, okay? And they'll maybe come later on today, maybe not, but uh, I actually had some say, hey, we're going to go on Saturday night so we can watch the game at 10 o'clock. Okay, just tell me you're not going to get more excited about the game than you are about Christ, okay? I didn't say that to him, but I was thinking along those lines. But that's the truth. What dominates your thoughts? What stirs your deepest emotions? What moves you to action? I can tell you what has your heart. And you can say all day long that Jesus has your heart, but your actions, your behavior, your thoughts, your emotions will betray you. So following Jesus is giving him your heart's deepest loyalties and affections. There's nothing like that. That's, that's the Christian life. Augustine said the key to change is not the acts of the will. You don't try harder. It's the loves of the heart. It's not the acts of the will. It's the loves of the heart. He wants to get the love of your heart. That's the Christian life. That's why I love John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. You're gonna find satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone more than anything. And so here's the third one, the next one. It is not Jesus following me, but me following Jesus. Now, why would you have to say that, Pastor? Right? We know that it's following Jesus. Well, some people follow Jesus for Jesus to follow them, okay? And sometimes when we initially come to Jesus, we want him to follow us because we're wanting him to do something for us. Look at verse 37. The two disciples started following Jesus. They didn't say, Jesus, follow us. <laughs> Jesus said, no, you follow me. No, 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 Jesus, you follow me. No, you follow me. Verse 38, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So they started following him. And he said, come and you will see. So we follow him. He doesn't follow us. We're not in charge. Following Jesus means to go where he leads. And by the way, wherever he leads, it's based on his perfect love and infinite wisdom for you. It's always, it's always for your good and his glory. He always has your best interest at heart. And sin is going where he doesn't lead. In the movie Rudy, how many have seen the movie Rudy? Okay. It's a good movie. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. You guys know what I'm doing there? No, some of you have never seen the movie Rudy. What's wrong with you, man? That's a, that's a good old American movie, huh? Maybe not. Okay. Rudy asked Father John Cavanaugh uh, to pull some strings with God to help him get ex accepted into Notre Dame to fulfill his dream of playing football. <clears throat> Sounds like idolatry to me. And, uh, and Father John says, I like, I like this, this kind of classic. He says, son, in years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I am not him. Some of us right here need to learn that. There is a God, you're not him. I have to learn that every day. Every day. There is a God, I'm not him. I'm following him. He's not following me. And I don't quite understand why this is going down, but he's in control. I love him. He always has my best interest at heart. Wherever he leads, it's perfect love and infinite wisdom that is leading you. And at times, it's going to drive you crazy. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow him. Get to know him. 
There's a verse uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, a couple of verses, uh, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, that have always haunted me, and I want them to haunt you also. And it says this, Jesus said to uh, his disciples, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And, and when you read the rest of the text, you, you discover that you can profess Christ, you can have right doctrine, you can be passionate, and even be a change agent and not be a Christian. You can do all of those great things and not be a Christian. You can help others to know Christ and not be a Christian. That's what he's saying. What is the difference? Well, the difference is between using God and serving God. That's what it is. Anytime someone says, I'll serve God if, whatever's at the end of the if is what you're truly serving. God is only a means to that end. Do you hear me? You're using God. You're not serving him. Whatever you give up to follow Christ is nothing compared to what you will gain in him. Here's the next one. It is more than information about Christ, but intimacy with Christ. Verse 38c, so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. They're getting to know him. They're hanging out with him. For it was about the 10th hour. It's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, John 17, 3, it says, for this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this word know is more than information It's intimacy, intimacy with God. So here's my question for you. I asked this in our Game of Life class this last week. What is intimacy with God? How do you know someone has an intimate relationship with God? What does that look like? Real quick, discuss that with uh, those that are sitting around you, real quick. What's the answer to that? There's a little bit of activity going on in here. Some of you, we may need to wake you up. So what is that intimacy? What is that intimacy? Here's, here's what it is. We could define it in a lot of different ways. But first and foremost, I can tell, I can tell if you have an intimate relationship with God because you have a ferocious love for Jesus. You spend time with him, oh my goodness. You want nothing more than more of him. And not only that, you have this incredible love that comes out of your heart for those around you. Even your enemies, even those that persecute you and talk nasty about you and say all kinds of mean things about you, you love them because your heart is filled up with Christ and his love as was quoted earlier, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's unbelievable, and that's the kind of love he pours into our lives. Intimacy with God is, is information about who Christ is and what he's done for us that's not just clear to our minds, it's real to our hearts and works its way out into our hands, into our everyday life. If you believe the God of the galaxies loves you, it should make you emotionally unshakable in the face of criticism, suffering, and death. I need some work there. How about you? How many would say, I need some work in that area of my life? I need to really get his love down into my heart so it begins to be translated into my life and how I respond to things. You see, when I forget his wisdom, I worry When I'm not living in the reality of his mercy and grace, I become bitter and unforgiving. When I'm not living in the reality of his unlimited power, I feel helpless and hopeless. When I'm not living in the middle of his love and experiencing his love for me, I become restless and discontented with my life. It is more than information about Christ, but intimacy with Christ. Here's the next one. It is not achieving, but receiving a new identity. This is a good one. And you've heard me say this a lot. I keep repeating this because I need to hear it repeated because I typically tend to, uh, by my sinful nature, is to work for my identity, trying to prove myself rather than from my identity. 
And so it's not achieving, but receiving a new identity. Look at uh, verses 40 through 42. He, Andrew, brought him, Simon, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, check this out. This is what happened. Let's just say that you're new here, and, and uh, you meet some new folks, and you say, hey, my name's, my name's uh, Bill. And the guy that's talking to you is one of the leaders here, and he says, okay, Bill, I'm going to start calling you John from this point on. Would that be a little weird? That would be really offensive. Who does that? Who changes a person's name? You just met him. How about this? The creator of the universe, the one who made you. Can he change our names? You bet he can. And in fact, what's fascinating about this name change is Simon, Simon Peter, his name before Peter, means vacillating, shifting, mooding, moody, or moody, mooding. It's, it's moody. But think about this. Is Peter, was Peter as Simon... Wasn't he like that? Listen, folks, this is the guy that denied Christ three times. Peter, you've been with Jesus for for three years, and you're still kind of vacillating here, man, because it takes time. And he's going to change him, but he changed his name to Cephas, which means rock. Now, here's the lesson, really important. Jesus doesn't see us as we are, but as we are to become in him. And we should do the same for each other. Do you have any idea who you will be when Jesus is finished with you? Do you? Do you have any idea what you will be when Jesus is finished with you? You're going to be the perfect you, the forgiven you, the healed you, the redeemed you, the free you, the fulfilled you, the true you. That's where he's leading you. And we need to have friends around us that help us to see that and point us in that, that direction. 2 Corinthians 5.17, those who are in Christ have become a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Here's the next one. It is more than a decision. It is a commitment. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So I understand, maybe you walked the aisle, you signed the card, you said the prayer, you got dunked in the tank. Those are all good. But did you realize in doing all those, that's a commitment? You're making a commitment for Christ for your whole life, to follow him with your whole life? That's that's what it means more than anything. Jesus said to his disciples, in John 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? You hear the, hypoc- the hypocrisy in that? He's just like saying, you call me Lord, and yet I'm not really, you're not following me. Here's what's interesting about following Christ is that you can reason to a point of probability beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus is the Son of God, but it takes commitment to lead to certainty. That content in your head has to go down into your heart as conviction and comfort and then out into your hands as commitment. You make a commitment. We have five levels of commitment here at Desert Breeze to help you become a fully devoted follower of Christ. Genuine, growing, giving, going, all for God's glory. Genuine is someone who's made a commitment to Christ and to a local church family. Growing Christian is someone who's made a commitment to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. Third G is a giving Christian. You make a commitment to using your time, talent, and treasure to building up of the body of Christ. Fourth G is a going Christian, someone who's made a commitment to share their faith with others and throughout this world to get the gospel out. Fifth G is a, is a glorifying Christian. You're committed to doing all the first four to God's glory. You're committed to that. That becomes a lifestyle. You are what you are committed to. What are you committed to? It will change how you live your life. Here's the last one. It is not the size of our faith, but the object of our faith that matters most. Look at uh, the rest of this story here. Let me read it. It's just, it's, uh, I love this part. Verses 44 through 51, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. You hear what he's saying? You haven't seen anything yet. You believe because I did that? You haven't seen anything yet. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the gates, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And, And he's making reference to Genesis 22. Remember Jacob's dream, the stairway to heaven? Led Zeppelin wrote a song about that yeah no stairway to heaven has nothing to do with that uh, that whatsoever so don't go out of here and tell people that Pastor Ray said Led Zeppelin wrote a song about uh, Genesis 28 and Jesus talked about it right here because I didn't say that but what he's saying here Jesus is saying I'm the stairway to heaven from heaven to earth and back to heaven again I'm that stairway And here's what this teaches us. And I I struggle with my faith as much as you do, maybe more. And and I'm not every day just trying to muster up more faith. I got to get through this. Oh, it's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Get to know the object of your faith and your faith will grow. Our problem is is really about getting to know him. In fact, what's fascinating, and I would encourage you to go home today and see how many you can find, but uh, in verses 35 through 51, our text, there are nine things said about Jesus Verse 36, Lamb of God. Verse 37, Rabbi. Verse 41, Messiah. And then in verses 44 through 51, it gives us more. Nine things. It's all about Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Get to know him, and you'll get through whatever you're facing. The world says, show me and I'll believe. God says, believe and I will show you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Whoever would come to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of all those that diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. follow anything or anyone as the Lord of your life other than Christ and it will control you when you seek it, disappoint you when you get it and devastate you when you lose it. Follow Christ as the Lord of your life and he will captivate you when you seek him. He will fulfill you when you live for him and he will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna prepare our hearts for communion here this morning. So Father God, thank you for the message of the gospel, the good news of what you have done to make us right with you by sending your son to rescue and redeem us. May the gospel message always stir up in us a hungering and thirsting that only you can satisfy. We come to you not for you to follow us, but for us to follow you as the end of our exceeding joy as we obey you in every area of our lives. Father, we don't just want to know about you. We want to know you intimately. Thank you for the new identity we have received in Christ Jesus. We commit our lives completely to you. And as we focus all of our attention, affection, and actions on the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, may you show us greater things than we have ever seen before. We now celebrate through communion the indispensable and costly love of Jesus. We pray these things in his beautiful name. And everyone said... Amen. They're going to be passing out the cups individually. Grab both of the cups, sit there, and I will walk us through the process in just a few moments.